0: Hello, and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matches of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Peter Spiller, Manager of the Capital Gearing Trust. Peter has managed the Capital Gearing Trust since 1982. Prior to founding Capital Gearing Asset Management in 2000, Peter was a Partner and Strategy Director at Casanova Co. Capital Management and a US equity investor at Capal Cure & Myers. He also spent time at Robert Fleming undertaking international corporate finance and at the European Arab Bank specialising in Eurobonds. Peter was educated at Wellington College in Christchurch, Oxford, where he read politics, philosophy and economics. So if we could um, start at the beginning, as they say, for the Capital Gearing Trust, could you perhaps explain to us the uh, investment style and, and the objectives of the trust?
1: Yeah, so let me say, first of all, the trust is run by a, a firm called C.G. Asset Management, or C.G. obviously from Capital Gearing, which is a firm structured rather like John Lewis, so it belongs to the employees. And we think that gives uh, great stability to our management business. And in pursuance of that same line of thinking, uh, we view ourselves as very much in partnership with our clients as well, so including the trust. Uh, so, for instance, every year... We cut the fees on at least one of our funds, and that's because we want to share the proceeds of growth with the clients. The trust itself is on a uh, fee structure, which uh, where the fees diminish as it grows, and we are currently issuing on 30 basis point management fee. The other important feature of the structure of the trust is that it's on what's called a zero discount model. That's to say, it is ensured that in all normal circumstances, the price of the shares will remain very close to the asset value per share. So if if there's uh, excess demand, we issue. And if people want to redeem, we'll buy in, in unlimited size. So there is no problem with liquidity. Uh, And the result of that has been the trust has grown. So since 1982, when I started, the market cap is actually up just over 1,200 times, which is made up of more than five times as many shares in issue and a share price which has gone up more than 220 times. So the twin objectives are to maintain low risk. So just to illustrate that, in the 39 years since 1982, we have had one year uh, where the annual return has been negative. That was down 2%. Uh, but it was up in in the late 90s. It was up in the great financial crisis. And it was up last year. And the other objective is to outperform equity markets over time. So usually, in a raging bull market, we'll be a bit behind. Uh, but over time, we do much better. Um, And indeed, the asset value has markedly outperformed equity markets over the full period. And we're driven by value. So where prospective returns on any particular asset class are high and risk is low, we want to lock those returns in for as long as possible. And obviously, the converse where those things aren't true. So back in 82, everything looked cheap. Bonds looked cheap uh, and equities looked cheap. But... Equities were much, have much longer duration, and therefore, we had 100% of our assets in equities. We fast forward to the late 90s. By now, we'd had a huge bull market in equities, and they looked very poor value. But bonds still remain great. We still had real yields above four. And our reaction to that was to have very little in equities, but a lot in bonds, and to have proper duration in those bonds. So we own, for instance, 30-year bonds. Come forward to today, uh, I'm sad to report that prospective returns in equities look very poor and risk is high. You only have to look at the yields on nominal bonds to see that if the uh, prospective return from bonds is very poor. We think that there are opportunities in, in inflation-protected uh, bonds or securities, But as a general statement, our asset allocation is very defensive because of those uh, considerations.
0: So um, with with that in mind, as you've uh, just explained, what is the current asset allocation of the trust and, and within that, what is the breakdown of, of funds and equities?
1: So we believe that investment is simple. So we don't we don't try to complicate things. And we don't try to time things. So we don't use derivatives, for instance. But we use all the available tools that are uh, around in financially quoted markets. Um, so for equities, we use investment trusts and ETFs, and obviously we direct we invest directly in in in, uh, in bonds. Uh, and in property shares where we want to get exposure to to uh, particular kinds of property. The only uh, thing we don't invest in is Bitcoin, uh, which we believe to be a uh, an ESG disaster, um, and we think in any case should not belong in any serious long-term portfolio. So my partner, Chris Clothier, has written a very good paper on this, which you can get on our website, which is www.cgasset.com. But to come back to the the, uh, asset allocation, we're not very far from the traditional 60% equity, 40% bonds, which has worked so well over the years at the moment, as it happens. Um, But there's a really important uh, difference in that, which is that we think 60-40, which has worked well for decades, will not... Work well going forwards because bonds have such low yields that the upside for capital growth in bonds when equities are very weak uh, is is so limited it's negligible. Where we do think that the 60/40 works better is if you own equities and inflation protected bonds uh, because real yields do not have the same zero bond and. We believe that financial repression, which will characterize the uh, financial markets going forward, will produce very negative real rates, and that will produce nice capital gains for, for in, inflation-protected bonds. And that's because the central feature of the current scenario is excessive debt. That is to say, debt that is excessive in relation to assets and to incomes. And historically, there have been only two ways of dealing with excessive debt. The first is to default on it, uh, but that probably involves uh, a minimum major recession, probably depression. Uh, And the second is what's called financial repression. So that is to say, circumstances where inflation is elevated and nominal interest rates do not compensate the owners of the bonds for that inflation. So nominal interest rates are well below that rate of inflation. that is what uh, corrected the excessive debt that followed uh, typically wars in the 20th century. Um, and we believe it is, it is uh, very likely that that is the policy that will be pursued uh, in the Western world going forward from here. So, our actual allocation is we are just under 50% in what we call risk assets, of which only 20 is actually equities. and. Thirty percent in inflation-protected bonds, one kind or another, and the remaining twenty is in what we call dry powder. So that's cash, treasury bills, very short, high-quality uh, corporate bonds. That dry powder is the uh, if we so that if we get a crash, we can take advantage of it for for our investors. So I said that twenty percent of these, of the fifty in risk assets is in equities. A further twenty percent, or a tiny bit more is in specialized property, so not offices or retail, but um, what's uh, colloquially known as meds, beds, and sheds. And then we have a scattering of various alternatives, uh, some uh, small bits in loan funds and in um, infrastructure. So um, overall, it's a pretty defensive stance. The 50% in risk risk assets, it's actually just a fraction under. the uh, but that is quite low beta, so that the actual risk is less than that.
0: Okay, so uh, perhaps drilling down a, a, a little bit further, but could you mention perhaps one or two of your top holdings within the trust to uh, give us a, an, an additional piece of colour there?
1: So I'm going to mention a couple, um, one of which we still own in, in size multiple which we don't, but it illustrates the process, I think, quite well. So the one which we still own in reasonable size is is Vonovia, which is a company which owns residential property in Germany, largely a little bit in, in uh, Sweden and in Austria. But it, its valuation is very modest. Um, most of the flats that it owns uh, are value not much higher than replacement cost, which is always appealing to to a value player. There is every reason to believe that rents uh, will rise. They're largely controlled in all those countries, actually, Uh, but they should rise at least in line with inflation uh, over the medium term. Uh, It trades on a little bit less than its net asset value, and we expect that net net asset value to grow, Um, not least because as well as the, the, um, the value of the asset growing, uh, there's a considerable advantage from the fact that it can finance those assets extremely cheaply. So, so last week, they issued a green bond on a yield of less than 0.7%. So that is significantly lower than our expected uh, rate of inflation in, in Germany. So the asset value should benefit not just by the, assets going up, but that the debt in real terms is going down. The other stock I was going to mention is Pershing Square. So Pershing Square is an investment trust run by a man called Bill Ackman, who has hedge funds in, in the United States. And this also has hedge fund kind of fees, which normally we, we flee from. But there were circumstances last year, it's a company we followed for a number of years, because we have owned debt in it, which was and still is attractive. Uh, But Ackman was very successful last year. He took derivative protection against the falling market and produced very good asset growth. But the shares fell to a 40% discount to asset. And we therefore um, bought a lot, 2% weighting, uh, which is big for us. And we enjoyed both very good asset value performance um, but also, that discount reduced substantially, particularly when the company joined the FTSE 100. So, at that point, we reduced the, the, the holding uh, really quite a lot, and we're now about uh, 35 basis points uh, in it. So, so, we sold most of it. But the return on that investment was in, in excess of 70% last year.
0: I think you've partially answered that. Uh... My next question, which is um, obviously we've had a, a, an extraordinary uh, 2020. Um, I was going to ask uh, how how capital gearing trust has, has held up during that period, and whether the uh, declines that we saw, particularly uh, a year ago, had given you any opportunities to add or open new holdings, other than obviously Pershing Square, which you've uh, you've clearly just described.
1: Well, yes. So uh, obviously, we did, we did fine in, in, uh, in 2020. Um, and we were, in a way, quite lucky, because at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, there was an enormous enthusiasm for infrastructure stocks, particularly, of uh, which we had a fair number. Um, and they went to very large premium, and we sold all of them. So we ended February with a lot of cash. In fact, more cash than we really wanted, but we couldn't find good value situations to, uh, to put the cash to work in. Um, so we had a lot of cash going into, into March. And in March, we were able to take advantage of one of the interesting features uh, of uh, markets in, in recent decades, which is that in, in downturns, the correlation goes to one. That's to say, equity markets fall, but so does everything else. And there were a lot of opportunities, so we particularly added to these specialised property situations. So one example I would give uh, was Big Box, so TriTax Big Box. And TriTax Big Box has a lot of very large warehouses, which are let to creditworthy clients at rents which are typically uh, related to inflation, and it essentially looks like. And, and for a long term, so it essentially looks like a credit portfolio, um, and there was a remarkable opportunity to buy that for for reasons um, we could go into in some depth, but we won't bother now. Um, but they went to a very big discount, so we were able to buy them. Um, actually, some in in, in the low nineties, um, um, and they have doubled since essentially. And uh, once again, we 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 uh, had a about 2% in that, um, which we have taken down uh, more recently. Still looks fine value, but, but, but uh, we've taken it down to about 120. Uh, the other kind of asset which we were interested in buying were those companies where we felt comfortable that when the crisis was over and life had returned to normal, that their business would return to normal. Um, and so long as they had the financial condition were to get through this period without any, any real problems, uh, then, uh, they also offered, we thought, extraordinary long-term value. And student accommodation will be one example of that. So, so, uh, we own DIGS, GCP student accommodation. And, and that was, there were very good opportunities to buy that as well.
0: So finally, Peter, and and in summary, putting those themes together, what, what do you think um, your outlook is is from here? Obviously, you've mentioned uh, a fairly defensive positioning. Um, how do you see things unfolding in the, in the uh, short to medium term?
1: Well, our assessment is is driven by by many of the things that I have talked about already, but particularly that that central. Problem of debt, of excessive debt, and the necessity for, for financial uh, repression and probably inflation as part of that. Equities are, are currently uh, performing fine, and there's some tailwinds for, for equities. So, the tailwinds include monetary growth. So, one of the reasons for fearing inflation is the extraordinary growth in broad money, which did not really happen. the last uh, financial crisis so broad money is up over 25 percent in the united states and that traditionally has been very favorable for all asset prices and and indeed we have seen that there's a further tailwind that that uh, it's reasonable i think to be fairly optimistic about the economy uh, over the next uh, year or so Um, and that traditionally has been helpful for equities as well but there are some there's some negatives so the negatives include the fact that nominal interest rates uh, have, have already gone up somewhat and, and uh, look as though they might go a little further, and that valuations are extremely rich, that tax rises look to be in the offing at some stage, probably not uh, too immediately in, in, in the case of the UK and the US, uh, but they're there. Uh, and finally, that there is plenty of froth around, lots of danger signals. So you only have to look at what happened to Bitcoin, to Tesla, to the SPACs in in the U.S. So the SPACs remind me uh, powerfully of the company which features in all histories of the South Sea Bubble, which is a company issued uh, to do something splendid, but no one to know what it is, and uh, it, that is exactly the situation with SPACs. So um, there are plenty of signs of froth, and we are very disinclined to try and catch the very last bit of growth in equity markets, uh, which is engendered by by those uh, factors we talked about before. Um, So we we just need to be very careful. We need to protect against inflation, which, of course, means that not just equities would do badly if we had high inflation, uh, but also cash. So so, uh, we've got to wend our way through
0: And the very best of luck to that. Uh, Unfortunately, we've now run run out of time. Uh, So I I must say many thanks again for your time, Peter, uh, for those extremely interesting and valuable insights. That's Peter Spiller of uh, Manager of the Capital Gearing Trust. Uh, And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.